Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. It is a fact that mainstream Christianity was, from the early 2nd century on, to a great extent, Matthean Christianity. So said the great commentator and evangelical scholar R.T. France. As the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew has had a profound influence on Christian thought for, let's think about it, almost two millennia. And so I'm happy to begin a series of messages on this incredible book. This episode will provide a brief introduction to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is quoted and discussed at length by early church fathers and commentaries. Uh, Still, year by year, they continue to be published. The church continues to seek greater understanding of this fascinating account of the person of Jesus. And yet, the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so-called because they mostly look at the events of the Lord's life from the same perspective, are strangely neglected in many circles in their preaching and teaching. Sadly, the gospel stories can be delegated to fodder for sermon illustrations. Some preachers and teachers just don't care for stories, but they want theology and doctrine like Paul. But not only does this kick against the trend in church history, more importantly, it disregards the fact that God, in his infinite wisdom, gave us the New Testament and made half of it, approximately, uh, the genre that we call Gospels. And of those Gospels, Matthew is the first. Some keep the Gospel of Matthew at arm's length today because they think it's only about Israel and that its difficult teaching really doesn't apply to us in the 21st century as being a part of the church. But the Great Commission contains the clear marching orders for all the nations or for all the Gentiles. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, Matthew 28, 20. Now, at the very least, that has to include the instructions that Matthew recorded earlier for his readers. Matthew, the inspired author, at least thinks that his readers need it. After all, who would go to such lengths to develop such a masterpiece for mere historical interest to describe a message that he thought was no longer relevant? Uh, Furthermore, every Christian should certainly be interested in a study of Matthew as it concerns the actions and sayings of his or her Redeemer, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. From chapter 1, verse 1, to the very last verse, 2820, this gospel is about Jesus. Our gospel has a very high Christology, that is to say, a big view of who Jesus is. One of the crowning moments, a turning point in the gospel, is when Peter acknowledges at Caesarea Philippi in chapter 16, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We will discover in Matthew that Jesus is wisdom personified, the great teacher who has authority unlike the scribes. In fact, he has all authority. He is the Son of God whom even the winds and seas must obey, and we must worship him. He is the ransom for many, the institutor of the new covenant, 
who gives his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, come to think of it, a full explanation of all that Jesus is in Matthew would require a full commentary on the whole gospel itself. The book, of course, focuses much on the earthly life of Jesus and gives us an accurate historical account of what he said and did here on earth. And yet there's a difference between modern historical biographies and ancient Greco-Roman biographies, or what is sometimes called bioi. Ancient biographies were more flexible and allowed for moving things around a bit or to compress details to tell the study more succinctly. So the Gospels in general, and also Matthew in particular, were not intended to be precise statements, as if we had a video camera there. But like other ancient biographies, they give us a picture of the main character. So though Matthew is history, it's also theology. Certainly our author's belief in the events he writes about doesn't discredit their historicity. I mean, just the opposite. It's because they happened in real life that they are therefore theologically significant. Matthew tackles several really big themes in theology. We've already mentioned uh, Christology, the study of the person of Christ. But Matthew is also about the church. It's the only gospel in our English translation to use that word. Much of its content is devoted to Jesus' teaching about discipleship, what the ethics of the kingdom demand, how we are to relate to other disciples, and the importance of our joining our leader and Lord in participating in God's mission in the world. The book of Matthew is about scripture, the story of Israel, and what God is doing to bring about the fulfillment of his promises, centered around the person of Jesus. If one compares Matthew, say, with the Gospel of Mark, it becomes clear that Matthew is comparatively much more concerned about making connections between the Old Testament story of Israel and the fulfillment centered around Jesus. Now, though Matthew often makes Old Testament connections explicit, he is full of subtle little pointers back to the Hebrew Bible so that the astute reader who can read between the lines catches his nudges and his winks. And we'll try to point to some of those as we go through eventually. Like Mark and Luke and yes, even John, Matthew is also full of information about the kingdom of God and its arrival through the advent of the Lord Jesus. It has much to say about wrath and punishment, the final judgment, and what needs to happen if a person wants to enter the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to establish. Some of the most graphic descriptions in all of scripture regarding eschatology or the things in the end times come from this gospel. So there you have it. Matthew gives us robust treatments of themes like uh, Christ, the church, ethics, scripture, God's plan for Israel, and even the final judgment and the conditions for salvation. Now, these are no small themes in theology. The church only neglects this great book of the New Testament to its own peril. Now let's consider the basic structure of the book and see how it manages to fit in so much in the span of 28 chapters. There have been several attempts to organize the book, and at this point, I will have to be content to just give two. The exact phrase, from then on Jesus began, occurs twice, once in chapter 4, verse 17, and then also in chapter 16, verse 21. Some have used this to divide the book up into three parts, the preparation of Jesus the Messiah in 1.1 to 4.16, the proclamation of Jesus the Messiah in 4.17 to 16.20, 
and the passion of Jesus the Messiah in 1621 to 2820. Others have noticed that something like, and when Jesus had finished these things, occurs five times. Matthew has five primary blocks of teaching or discourses that can be connected with these, with narrative material or stories in between. These story sections are not just filler until we get to more teaching, but uh, each of the story sections provides important contribution and support to the teaching sections. The main teaching blocks are as follows. The Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, the Mission Discourse in chapter 10, the Kingdom Parables in chapter 13, the Principles of Church Life in chapter 18, and the End Times in chapter 24 to 25. What precisely the author of Matthew had in mind when he penned this gospel? That's hard to know for sure. But all of these are valid approaches to understanding the gospel of Matthew, and they contribute helpful insights for us as we interpret the book. None of them are exclusive to the others, and so this is one of those happy times where we can hold hands and say, they're both right. Now, technically, our gospel is anonymous. Nowhere in the book does the author identify himself as Matthew. However, there is good reason to think Matthew is the author. This is the unanimous opinion of the early church. There's a quotation by Papias, Bishop of Hierapolis, in his Expositions of the Lord's Saying, which is often referenced in this regard. It goes like this, quote, Therefore, on the one hand, Matthew arranged in order the saying in the Hebrew dialect, on the other, each translated these as he was able, end quote. Now, there are some difficulties here, especially since Matthew does not seem to have been written in Hebrew, but in Greek. For example, the first four Beatitudes all start with the letter P in Greek, but that just wouldn't work if Matthew wrote this in Hebrew. Papias' expression Hebrew dialect could mean something like Hebrew style, and our gospel is a Jewish gospel, but style isn't the normal way of understanding dialect. He could be just wrong about the language of composition or referring to a completely different document than what we have. After all, we are talking about something from almost 2,000 years ago. But though Papias' reference has some difficulties, this is the unrivaled opinion of the early church. In fact, two of our earliest manuscripts, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, have, according to Matthew, written on them. And we may even have a papyrus called P4, which goes all the way back to the year 200, and describes Matthew as the author of the gospel. So while we don't have enough evidence to mount a watertight case, the evidence we do have points in the direction of Matthew being the author, and there's no reason to object to that being the case. We know even less about the historical readers, the provenance and the dating of the Gospel of Matthew, but still there are a few things that can be deduced. The intended audience seems to be believers. Matthew's readers are often put in the disciples' shoes as they hear the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7, or are sent out on the mission discourse in chapter 10, or hear the rules for church life in chapter 18. Now, we'll develop this more later, but the many references to Scripture are best understood not as proof texts to convince unbelievers, but as providing additional significances of the person of Jesus for those who have already come uh, to understand Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. Still, the Gospel of Matthew has much to say about salvation, and it's full of warnings and uh, descriptions of final judgment. And so, though there are good reasons for believers to hear this again and again, 
Matthew is also important for those who have not yet come to place their faith in the Lord Jesus. While the evidence points away from the description of Matthew being an evangelistic book written to Jewish unbelievers, still there's much evangelistic benefit found in this gospel. There have been a whole host of theories about the geographical location, with Antioch being the most prominent. Debate continues as to whether this was written before or after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Some older scholarship was more interested in pinning down the narrow community to whom the gospel was written, but focus has shifted since then, and I think rightly so. The commentator and scholar Richard Baucom as well argued that the early church was made up of interrelated assemblies, a network of believers who passed information along and supported one another. And this, Baucom argues, means the Gospels shouldn't be read like the epistles, which are ad hoc, uh, often written to one specific group for a specific reason. Instead, they were intended for a wider circulation. Even the letters uh, would be circulated for a wider audience. How much more the Gospels, which deal with a wide range of issues. At the end of the day, as part of God's Word, it is living and active, still powerful for us today in the 21st century. It's had such a wide circle of influence, much wider than Matthew could have ever imagined. So we've considered some details of the historical author and the audience, but we also need to remember that as part of Scripture, the author is God and the audience is us. This is His Word to us, which means we need to listen. We need to read this book. So my suggestion to you is, why not find some time, open your Bible to Matthew, and read it through. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.